is also on Facebook too. Hello and welcome to For We Are Many. Oh, hi, my, my name is. <laughs> Go ahead. Sorry. I go ahead and introduce you guys. Today we are joined by uh, Kwame Shakur and Hi Thurman for the uh, Principled Unity book tour. Um, they're doing the east coast um if you want to introduce yourselves and say a little bit about it um you know feel free go ahead hi all right uh well the uh actually the purpose well, it's high thurman but the purpose of the uh unity book tour is to it's to bring individuals and groups and um, organizations together to discuss their commonalities you know, in hopes that uh, uh, they can get together and do future actions, you know, in the legacy of the first Rainbow Coalition through the second Rainbow Coalition. You know, the books are only a, a tool just, just to get in and, and start, you know, start uh, talking to people and trying to organize people and trying to, you know, trying to get people together across the country because both the original Rainbow Coalition and the second Rainbow Coalition, you know, and following the legacy of the uh, of of the first uh, coalition, we were um, all about coalitions, getting groups together, getting people together, you know, uh, to create some type of revolutionary change, you know, within the country, you know, to fight oppression, you know, to uh, police brutality, everything else that was oppressing people at that time and still are i mean we we were successful to a certain point uh until we started getting uh COINTELPRO and police uh, you know uh brutalizing us and uh and so uh we're carrying it on through this second rainbow coalition and uh I'm Kwame Chase Shakur, uh, uh, the current chairman of the Second Rainbow Coalition. Uh, this this is uh, like the follow up what Hi said. This is like uh, the meeting of two generations. You know what I mean? Hi being a part of the first generation, me being a part of the second uh, generation of the uh, Rainbow Coalition, and 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 showing the continuity of the movement where we are now and uh taking it forward to its completion where they started off on you know what i mean and high being one of the elders that was a part of the first and the second you know what i mean he was critical to uh the establishment of this uh second uh rainbow coalition being very fundamental in its maintenance and 
uh, projecting it across the country with me and stuff. You know what I mean? Uh, the statement of unity is like a development. Like the first Rainbow Coalition didn't have a statement of unity. We have a statement of unity. You dig know what I'm saying? So we're we're trying to take this to a higher level for the 21st century. So like he said, the books is like a vehicle to explain, uh, you know, uh, the legacy and how we got here. You know, uh, even my book, uh, when I talk about my book, I always talk about like when I first started to read about the Black Panther Party, came across Fred Hampton's speech, All Power to the People, uh, All Power Anywhere There's People, and uh, never realizing that that one time in that cell reading that book, uh, that speech from him was going to take me on a trajectory where me and High Thurman's paths crossed because that was my start of uh, revolutionary consciousness. So linking that up to where we are today uh, is an interesting story that I always like reading different parts of my book to show like I was just like everybody else. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, like I wasn't very conscious. You know what I'm saying? But uh, it, it's a process to get to there. You dig what I'm saying? So this is part of me is showing that process uh, to becoming a revolutionary, to joining this movement, to linking up and forming these uh, broader uh, networks and alliances. So uh, yeah, that's that's a little bit breakdown of what this means to me uh, to uh, add to what Hyde was saying. Oh yeah. So Speaking of like the two of you meeting, like how did that come about? Like, did did you look up high and just find him, or did he hear about what you were trying to do and hit you up? Or it's funny because it was a little bit of the both. Uh, like high uh, started to follow me on Facebook. I already knew who he was. Uh, uh, Jose Cha Cha uh, Jimenez. Uh, I met. He was one of the first ones that I met. Uh, he had me uh, when the first Rainbow Coalition movie uh, documentary came out on PBS, PBS. It was him. <laughs> you know, if you don't know who that is, that uh, one watching, he was a leg part of the legacy, too. He was the founder uh, of the Young Lords, took them from a street organization and they became a political organization. But he told me about watching the first Rainbow Coalition documentary. I watched it. Then we started it May 14, 2021 out in uh, New Jersey. Um, uh, and, uh, New, Newark, New Jersey, uh, that was the, uh, White Panthers, New African Black Panther Party. And at that time they called themselves the New Young Lords. Now we all recognize them as the Young Lords because they continue the legacy. You know what I mean? Uh, but Hi was already a, my Facebook friend. Uh, I don't know who sent, who a friend request, but, uh, we was, our, I was already familiar with him and I knew that he had probably uh was watching some of the stuff we was doing but andy willis uh i think was the first person to find out that we established the second rainbow coalition and he reached out to high and they started to talk and uh andy willis reached out to me and he was like well hey we would love to like work with y'all you know what i mean me and high thurman's a friend of mine and uh he already knows that i'm talking with you right now but we would like to find a way at first it was like just uh hey, we would like to do a zoom <laughs> you know what i mean but then right. it developed in like uh we want to be a part of the elder council then it became hey we want to be a part of the movement all the way in and uh so they've been uh uh very intimately involved with this from day one you know what i mean i i look at them as founding members too you know what i mean because they came right in the very beginning and they helped us develop this you know what I mean? So we've been partners ever since, comrades ever since, friends ever since. Like he's one of, 
out of all the elders of this generation, I give the most credit to High as far as me as being a part of like furthering the vision that I've been trying to push out here. Like High's been the most supportive. You know what I mean? It's not to take away from any other elder, but I want I want to go on record and say like history should remember him also for how much he was influential in the stuff that the second rainbow coalition and even my relationship with him you do what i'm saying yeah well and i mean obviously uh you know he hi you should be remembered for the work he did in the first rainbow coalition too or uh, i mean north alabama school for organizers is uh <laughs> yeah. another pretty big thing you know like yeah i feel that um so hi like how like where is your political journey taking you i mean i know that with all the co-intel pro stuff um you know the first rainbow coalition didn't didn't stay around forever obviously um yeah. but you never like stopped organizing like no no i didn't uh even though you know a lot of us had to leave you know chicago because of COINTELPRO, and you know right after uh chairman fred was assassinated um you see some of our people and the young patriots were already being murdered and and none of that was being documented um you know so and and even when it, before the young patriots uh, uh there were two other organizations that kind of blended into becoming uh um the young patriots, which one of them was a street gang uh, called the Peacemakers, and my <clears throat> my older brother at that time um, was one of the leaders in that that street gang, and uh, I I came to Chicago when I was seventeen, you know, and and just kind of fell right into it, uh, and what pushed me into it was cops, you know, harassing all the time. Um, you know, and just the slum living conditions and poverty, you know, which is what I came out of in my hometown in Tennessee, but it, it was sort of a continuation of, I guess, anger uh, that I had uh, and, and wanting to make some type of a change. And so some of the um, peacemakers, uh, you know, were, were being murdered and beaten and people were just being beaten on the streets uh, you know and and then we kind of moved toward an organization called join jobs or income now which was started by students for a democratic society that came into uh chicago and was originally just talking about trying to get people jobs but then they found out that the uptown area that we were in had the highest rate of unemployment you know, and it's a, uh, you know, you can't, you can't grow a garden on a, a, you know, a street on asphalt. And that's most of the people there came from farming areas. So there was a lot of poverty. And I'd saw, I saw people, you know, dying of lack of health care. Some people were dying of actually, um, you know, starving. So it, it was pretty bad. We were treated as a, you know, we, we were treated as trash by the entire city. And so we got involved in join. I'll tell you one of the reasons we got involved in join is because of the women, <laughs> you know, 
uh, we were just a bunch of young guys at that point. So we see all these student women over there and we're like, hey, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and so we started hanging out there and, you know, we already had our political ideology. You know, we just didn't know how to express it. You know, and, and so Marx, you know, most of us were, were Marxist, you know, and, and didn't even know it. So uh, we started getting some political education through that. And then we had a march on the local police station for brutality and draw, started drawing in people from the community. And uh, I think there was around 500 people marched on the police station from police brutality. And then uh, since that time, you know, they continued. Uh, right after that, they killed one of our members. And so we got more and more involved in, say, the community. And uh, and then but this wasn't uh, the first Rainbow Coalition was not the first time that we uh, were recognized by, by the Black Panthers. Um, the Peace and Freedom Party ticket in California was running Eldridge Cleaver as the president. And so they came in our community, wanted to find a white person to run as vice president. And, and they, they found Peggy Terry, who was a, a former, you know, white supremacist. And she was also a, a, a clan member at one time and she was married to one of the upper uh, clan members, but had gotten involved with SNCC and started changing. So she became uh, very knowledgeable, you know, in explaining this change you know, politically. And so we had, um, from, from that, and we, be, we started becoming the, uh, the um, an another, uh, the Goodfellas actually. So we wanted to change that because that's associated with, you know, with the mafia. And so one day uh, we just said, hey, we're serving our community. Why don't we become the Young Patriots? And the reason for that name was that we felt that at that time, you know, the, the patriots back in the, you know, American Revolution, they, they were actually fighting for their people. So we said, well, let's be the young patriots. And that's how that came about. But how it came about was after, uh, you know, we were approached by Fred Hampton and uh, asked to be a part of the Rainbow Coalition. And that's, there's a, you know, the first Rainbow Coalition kind of explains that a little bit. There's another movie called uh, American Revolution II that was made back in 1969, which specifically shows the relationship between, you know, the Southern whites and the blacks um, within Chicago. But from that, and you know everything else probably of what happened when we got involved with the, with the um, Rainbow Coalition, and we help, you know, they have to set up free health, health clinics, food programs, police, you know, brutality uh, watch. And so from there, we were treated as the Black Panthers were treated. And then uh, we continue organizing. And J. Erica Hoover came out with a, a statement saying that, uh, you know, there is a, a messiah in Chicago that needs to be uh, neutralized. And he was talking about specifically about Fred Hampton. And he said, this, uh, the Black Panthers have recruited like-mind uh, organizations 
uh, to be a part of their coalition. And they specifically named uh, the Young Lords and the Young Patriots. So we were treated as a threat to national security. The only thing we're trying to do is feed kids, you know, and trying to do that. But anyway, from there, you know the, you know the rest of the story where Hampton was killed, was murdered. Uh, they came down on us pretty hard. And then we, uh, some of us decided that, hey, we, we're gonna cool it for a while. We gotta get out of here because every time we stepped out here, we, we were either getting beaten, thrown in jail, you know, and, and there was a high risk of, you know, our families being, uh, being, uh, you know, threatened by the police. And so I went into, I just took my wife and my baby at that time and moved back to my hometown in Dayton, Tennessee. And then from there I was harassed because uh, the FBI would notify the police department of wherever we went to. And we were harassed. I was harassed in my hometown. I had to move out there. And then um, I just went underground. I, I, I wandered around for a while. I did a lot of organizing with, with uh, homeless folks. Um, I actually got in got into a, uh, uh, a ministry at one point. Uh, and I, I got into various other organizations. And then I just kind of wandered around down south uh, for a while. And then uh, it was some years later, you know, when I found out that James Tracy and uh, uh, Amy Sony had written the book, Hillbilly Nationalist, uh, that I, I read it and I said, I didn't even know this book was out. And so I got in touch with James Tracy and he said, yeah, we've been trying to get, find you for years. And I said, well, I didn't want to be found, you know, at that time. Right. <laughs> so then this was probably only uh, 15, maybe 15, 12 to 15 years ago uh, that I decided I, I needed to come back out and get back involved in the movement. And so what I did was I started uh, rebooting the uh, Young Patriots, you know, and started doing some programming uh, here and in, in Chicago. And then from there, it just, it just took on a whole new you know, uh, different uh, uh, scene. I, I kept organizing. And uh, uh, of course, through the years, I've, you know, I've, I've gained more political knowledge, you know, because I never left. I never left the revolutionary movement. And so, you know, I kicked in the, uh, the Young Patriots from there. We went to a program for the homeless, a uh, homeless construction project building, uh, you know, building uh, structures for the homeless because, you know, these, these folks are really screwed over. You know, these folks really need help. And these folks, you know, you can talk to them and they're really revolutionaries. And so we started organizing groups to represent themselves. And then from there, um, well, I, I don't know, it uh, went to... Uh, the North Alabama School for Organizers, and which we started training organizers and holding, uh, you know, educational classes, and uh, and from there it just kind of developed other survival programs. Like uh, we have a program which is uh, the uh, fixing people's cars, the free car clinic, 
you know, and we get people, we just put, we'd get somebody's parking lot or whatever and put, throw up a tent, I mean, a canopy, and we have mechanics that would come out and, and repair people's cars. And that's been a very big success here. Um, and then uh, we also have an organization called Blues to Bluegrass, uh, in which we involve musicians and artists, and we're making our first album here, which should be out, and local talent, uh, you know, in two months, about two months. But it never stopped, and then I, then I ran into uh, Kwame, and that's what started really me back into the uh, the national movement, and so that that pretty well gave me a purpose. It gave me a, a you know a direction to go in, and I think uh, what we're doing now. And then I wrote my book, uh, uh, and and it's a very simple book. The book is Revolutionary Hillbilly, and it, it's it's my you know it's it's my life that I put into it, and I wrote it specifically uh, in the manner that it's written. I want it to be where someone with maybe an eighth grade education can read it uh, because I've seen too much academic books coming out. You know, people writing for the poor, but they never let the people, poor people write. And we never encourage that. So that's what I was trying to do. At the same time, uh, you know, uh, fighting white supremacy, you know, uh, within the, basically the Southern white at that time, but now we can see that, you know, white supremacy is all over the country now, you know, with Trump and, you know, his regime. And so by it being written where they could read it, because I want, I, I, when I came to Chicago, I, had a, uh, I was reading on a third grade level, okay? So I had to struggle to learn to read, to do all this and get through college. And I wanted them to understand that they could do the same thing, you know, and that, you don't have to have a major organization to cause a change. You know, none of these organizations, uh, like like the Black Panthers, are the biggest, but the Young Patriots, we had about I don't know, fifteen members, and and uh, convincing people that two or three can make a change in this world. You know, and that's what I try to do to fight against, and you know, and and to educate against the. You know the capitalist system that that's you know putting them in a peg hole here and uh, just just convincing them that they're they're useless. You know, convincing them that they have no power, and so they they gravitate to those people who say you have power, and of course that's people like Trump. So we try to change that. We definitely try to change that all we can, and uh, and so that's pretty much where I'm at now. Um, never really stopped, you know, kept trying to educate myself, got involved in some other organizations. And then, uh, I don't know, I just, it, I'm, I'm really looking forward to this book tour. I, I always look forward to working with the Second Rainbow Coalition. And I think that this is going to create some change, you know, within our, within our country. And I think it already has. And I, I think this is something that, you know, the first Rainbow Coalition is the blueprint. You know, the second is the building, you know, and it's yeah, that's it's, a, it, I like that. It's the mortar that holds the bricks together. 
So I think that's where we go from there. You know, like Kwame or I or any, we we could be a great CEO of some, you know, some organization, some corporation, but that's not where we're at. Our heart is with the people. You know, that's had the most suffering, and it's an honor for me to, you know, to work with the Second Rainbow Coalition, Kwame's one of my best friends and we always get along pretty good, you know, and I'm looking forward to going out on the road with you too, Rob. That's oh yeah, same, fun. me too. <laughs> yeah, that's going to be fun. <laughs> yeah. But that's basically, I could talk forever, but I don't want to. Kwame <laughs> <laughs> might want to talk and say, you know. Yeah, so, um, I mean, Kwame, if there's anything that you specifically want to talk about, um, you know, you're free to. Otherwise, we can talk about, you know, the the tour in general, the stops and all that. Yeah, uh, I think one of the most important development happened to me yesterday. And uh, I'm hoping this, uh, this brother uh, is able to get out there for our stop in New York uh, with the uh, people's forum that we're going to be attending uh, March 29th. So if you're in the New York area, New York City area, New Jersey area, you definitely don't want to miss that stop. You know what I mean? But uh, I dedicated my book, my autobiography, uh, and I'm definitely going to speak on this at every stop because I've been fighting for this and pushing for this for a long time. But I said in my dedication, I said this book is dedicated to Leon Benson and Royal Amos, who have spent over 23 years and over 15 years, respectively, in prison for crimes that the state of Indiana knows that they did not commit. I also dedicate this book to Alonzo Hayes, my stepfather, who passed away in 2020. Uh, yesterday, uh, if you was in another part of the universe, uh, it didn't know, <laughs> you know, uh, but my comrade Leon Benson got out of prison after 20, oh, nearly 25 years, you know what I mean? Yesterday, uh, he's out here. Uh, we went to greet him. Uh, he walked out the gates. You dig what I'm saying? And uh, we embraced. Uh, we started to chant. And it, the truth never dies. You dig what I'm saying? Like, that was his uh, his uh, slogan that I remember when we was in prison talking about this. He was like, yeah, the truth never dies. It's just rediscovered. You know what I mean? So, <laughs> I like that. <laughs> so when he came out the doors, like I started to chant. I was like, the truth never dies. The truth never dies. The truth never dies. You know what I mean? It looked like it was choreographed, but it was all like organically. You know, like everybody that was out there, we it was like a surreal moment. Like I knew his sister and daughter before I even got out of prison because of me and him talking about them and then getting out here working with them doing different demonstrations fighting for his liberation for him to come home like that was a monumental moment uh because it that I dedicated this book to him <laughs> you know what I mean like I talked about his story in my book you know what I mean and now for him to possibly be out in New York City around the time that we out there is, is a, like a big highlight for me. You know, I told him, I was like, when you get out here, uh, comrade, like we building a platform to speak for the people and stuff. And I know you one of the strongest voices I came across in there, you know what I mean? So it's gonna be nice for the 
introduce him to high and all the comrades and stuff like that if he can make it out there a few days before april the second because that's when he was supposed to come out there but if he can make it out there three four days uh before then he can meet all of y'all a lot of people in the movement uh possibly just get up there and speak a little bit about his situation and stuff like that but yeah that that's something i definitely like i dedicate this interview to leon you know what i mean it's my first interview uh since then uh him being released i actually had an interview yesterday but uh i canceled that to be out there for him cut walking to the gates you know what i mean so yeah i i i i, I feel like that was an important moment i think uh the I, that's a part of this tour in in a in a symbolic way uh since i dedicated to, this to him hopefully the next one royal amos he'll be uh freed after what 17 18 years you know what I mean? And he'll be out here too. This is another comrade of mine that I think is gonna be critical to our movement. Uh uh, so yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. All power to the people. All power it's, to the That's fucking exciting. You said you said almost twenty-five years. Yeah, almost twenty-five wow. years. Like I was in the county jail with this brother. I didn't know him, know him at that time. Uh uh, we used to see each other on visits and stuff like that. I don't know if he paid attention to me, but I, I, you know, I, I looked over at him and I was like, man, all these young black brothers out for her. So I, I took note of everybody around my age group. You know what I mean? Uh, when we got to prison, that's when uh, we sat down and he told me within our first conversation, imagine this is you in prison. You just started your bit. You only been down like two years and you come across a person like him and he's telling you, he's like, in the first conversation, I didn't even do what I did to be in here. You know what I mean? Like, I got a lot more time than you have. <laughs> and I didn't even do the stuff I'm in prison for. And then uh, that was the first uh, time me and him talked. But later on, we got on a lockup unit. And that's when I started reading his paperwork and all that stuff. Uh, oh, I think another important thing before I get to that, he played a valuable role in the even the the title I picked for my book, My Search for Answers, Truth, and Meaning. The meaning part comes from him giving me a book called Man's Search for Meaning uh, by Victor E. Frankel, which had a profound effect on me. You know what I'm saying? It really changed my way of looking at life. Uh, just very briefly, Victor E. Frankel said, uh, the reason why we wake up every day is because we're looking for meaning. Uh, we have a meaning. We have a purpose. The reason why we wake up every day and want to live, because he said life is suffering. And um, uh, and the purpose is find meaning within the suffering. And that's one thing Hyde was even talking about when he got a part of the Rainbow Coalition. He was like, now I got to, I felt my purpose through this vehicle. You know what I'm saying? Uh, it's the same thing with me, but it's the same way. Like when I first met y'all, like that was an interview that turned to y'all being a part of the revolutionary movement with us. Cause y'all found purpose, y'all found meaning in it. You know what I mean? And uh, he was a critical component to that. That's why I even named my book and put the meaning aspect in there is because of him. So like he, He's a part of this uh, book tour in a symbolic way, in a lot of ways, you know what I mean? And for him to be getting out at this time is like, man, surreal, <laughs> you know? Synchronicity, man. Right. Exactly. That's, <laughs> That's epic timing. 
<laughs> yeah, absolutely. All right, so there's, uh, well, it's the last week of March, and there's how many stops? I should know this off the top of my head by now, but. Uh, you're, you're muted, hi. You're muted, hi. They're gonna be six, six to eight, you know, stops. Uh, what we'll do is I think just list them real quick here. Um, we're gonna start out, you know, in Baltimore at uh, Red Emma's bookstore and coffee house. Um, then from there, we'll be going to, uh, it's, it's Libertyville, New Jersey. Uh, and that's gonna be sponsored by the uh, um, Human Rights Economic uh, and Human Rights Campaign. Well, short, poor People's Army. <laughs> yeah, Poor People's Army. Uh, and we'll be going to also to a, a Making World's Bookstore in Philadelphia. And then we will go to, I guess, Providence. The 28th, yeah. 28th. And then at 29th, we have to be in New York. Um, you know, for the poor people, I mean, the People's Forum. Uh, the 30th, we'll be going to Yale University in New Haven. And then we'll be tracking on down to Richmond, Virginia on April uh, 1st. We might have one more stop, and that's in Waterbury, uh, Connecticut. Uh, okay, we got okay. that. Uh, that the New Era Young Lords is trying to hook up with this uh, uh, Afro-Caribbean cultural center or something like that. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, it's going to be an okay. interesting uh, tour. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We'll work on that. It's definitely a busy week. That's for sure. All right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's very busy. I, I was like the other one, uh, the, the, uh, West Coast tour was like that too. And, and yeah. a lot of people coming together on that. They're very interested in it. And, uh, you know, like I say, it's it's just a way of getting people together. And as a matter of fact, since we went to uh, California, we were at Merced, <laughs> University of California. Uh, since that time, they've had us back out there again. And, uh, you know, Kwame couldn't make it. I went out there and now they're talking about getting us back, you know, to do, uh, to be involved in a documentary uh, program that they're putting together. You That's know? awesome. Yeah. Wow. And we got a dog visiting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, what, what type, what's that, a pit bull? Uh, pit and husky, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I got mine laying down here by my feet. <laughs> Mine's... Yeah. Not right. really by my feet, but he's. Uh, oh, hold on. Let me turn off this stupid yeah. virtual background. <laughs> well, I showed you uh, the uh, video of our dog. You would think that oh. he's a big boy. Yeah. <laughs> my, my dog's laying the same way. He's an Australian Shepherd. Oh, nice. Yeah, he's a good dog. But this is a podcast about politics, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know what was funny. I got to tell you the story though. When when we went to Florida, uh, uh, and you know, I'd have organized. Kwame's wife is organizing a uh, 
organization for missing women. And uh, what is it called, Miss Diversity or something? Uh, yeah, the Miss Versary. Yeah, that, as soon as I got to give my talk, a woman had a dog and it started howling, barking. <laughs> I said, this is really gone to the dogs, you know? <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, I'm sorry. <laughs> well, yeah. Sarah always wants to jump in and, and send the podcast straight to the dogs, too. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. Um, so, <clears throat> oh, excuse me. In terms of the uh, overall tour, I mean, there's going to be representatives from a bunch of different groups speaking, right? The uh, New African Black Panther Party, the uh, the the Young Lords, the Poor People's Army, White, um, White Panthers. You know, right, right, and, and um, yeah, we'll probably have. You know, people from uh, Democratic Socialists, I'm contacting them right now all over the country because they have chapters all over the country and uh, asking them to come out. Um, John Brown. Uh, yeah, John Brown Gun Club. Yeah. Up here. You know, and just other organizations and people we don't even know about yet. So they'll come out and, uh, you know, and, and visit. So... You know, some of the, uh, yeah, definitely want to get the young lords out there, you know, from New York, too, because uh, they're, they weren't a part of the original Rainbow Coalition, but they've been going for a long time. Um, you know, and maybe uh, somebody from Maine, I don't know, we're still working, you know, working on that a little bit, American Indian Movement. Oh, hell yeah. You know, so we'll, we'll be working, I'm working on that still. There's a American Indian movement group in Massachusetts too. Maybe we should reach out to them. Yeah, sure we can. Uh, I just need a contact here. I know that uh, uh, the, the folks from Yale are in, also involved in you know, the uh, American Indian movement. And so there might be some people from there too. And I think it's very important that we get, that we get everybody involved, you know, every, every color because you know our coalition button you know has all the colors on it uh and that was done deliberately when we put that made that button uh we painted over nixon agnew button for president mm -hmm. <laughs> we had so many of them we figured we'd use the button so that's that's the legacy of that you know that particular button that's become a a universal national you know symbol now yeah yeah, I always wondered why it like, you know, like even the the new buttons, they like look painted. Now, yeah. now I know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we just sat down a bunch of it and just painted and painted and painted, you know. And there's a few of those around. Uh I saw one on eBay selling for seven hundred dollars. Somebody wow. to sell it. Yeah, I'm like, hey, I should have kept mine. <laughs> In the comments, Rob Rich just asked uh, if, to ask you, hi, if you can teach Kwame how to play pool. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Wait, no, no, I can't say this. We were in Florida, and he beat me all three games. Uh, Rob, Rob, <laughs> uh, he, he under experienced that, too. So, uh, yeah, uh, Rob already knows about that. I probably need to ask somebody to teach him. <laughs> <laughs> 
yeah, we had, we had fun. We were shooting the pool, and I haven't <laughs> shot pool in, man, long time. He yeah. Just, he just wiped me out. So. <laughs> so it could have been the influence of alcohol and other, other substances, but we won't get into that. <laughs> Shout out to Rob Rich. That's one of my favorite <laughs> Yeah, I mean, honestly, I really wish some of the some of the White Panthers from uh, Northwest Indiana could make it out here too. Like uh, yeah. Rob and Jake, that would be awesome. But money, man. Right. Well, <laughs> well, you know, we're gonna do a Midwest tour, which we want to go uh, up to Wisconsin, down through Michigan, uh, Illinois, Indiana. You know, get down into Kentucky, maybe here, even down into you know uh, Georgia. You know Mississippi, those places. So there'll be an opportunity. We want to give everybody an opportunity to get in on this. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, but um, you know, Michigan is where Rob and I are both originally from. So if you want, we can throw down with you on. Uh, can you set up with some folks back there that uh, I'm sure would love to have you guys bring the book tour there? Yeah. Where is that? Michigan. 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 Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. Yep. I'm originally from Flint, and Rob well, lives up north. Oh. You know, he spent some time yeah. in Flint and Detroit too, so we you know just, a lot of organizations around there. Yeah, I lived in Flint for what six, seven years, something like that. It was a while. <laughs> there you go, Guami. Yeah, we <laughs> might need help because I'm going to be going back and forth uh, from here to Flint. Uh, I'm working with a sister. Uh, uh dr crystal lee crane uh she's from flint uh she got a community center out there that's uh about to uh open up pretty soon called the everly collective uh uh yeah uh we definitely gonna have to talk about that uh she uh shout out to her she donated a significant sum to helping the book tour even happen uh because we was struggling to raise all the funds and she kind of pushed us over the hump you know what i mean so i uh, appreciate her contribution yeah. to happen uh but yeah yeah we definitely need to talk because uh that's going to be one of the critical locations i always talk about we need to institutionalize this uh uh cultural uh social uh uh political power in the community developing this dual and contender power uh, she's right along the same line. She's actually uh, uh, building the institutions and funding these things. You know what I'm saying? To uh, uh, push forth some of these uh, visions that we have. You know what I mean? I think she's going to be a critical part of what we're doing uh, across the country. And I look forward to continue to work yeah. with her yeah. and comrades up in uh, Flint that we're going to start working with. So there's a lot of good comrades in Detroit, too. Yeah. yeah, I've yeah. lost contact with a lot of them, unfortunately. But man, like when I was living in Detroit, there was uh, there was one group that was, you know, seizing abandoned houses and fixing them up. And there was another group that was, you know, like um, like abandoned lots where houses had burned down or been tore down or whatever, you know, planting community gardens. I mean, like right. all over the city. Yeah. 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 It's uh, we can, you know, there's we can do anything here with this. And, and, you know, now that we have the tools like the first rainbow documentary, the books, you know, encouraging other people to write books is very important. Yeah. Um, so, onto the books for a second, sorry to interject, but um, 
you know, like, do you guys want to, you know, like maybe uh, plug where to get the books or? Um, yeah, yeah, mine, uh, mine's available most places, uh, even Amazon, uh, but Regent Press out in Berkeley, they're the ones that, that are, uh, that's publishing it. Uh, but it, it can be found, like I was checking with, uh, I think it was Books a Million, and um, uh, they had sold out, you know, so, wow. and they're getting some more in other places too. And then somebody just sent, you know, someone just sent me a, a picture on Facebook that they found it out in Portland or some Seattle, you know, that wow. were, you know, in a bookstore. So, you know, it's getting around, they're getting around. So uh, yeah. that's probably the best way to get mine. And, uh, or just contact <laughs> us. We can always get you a book, you know, with our emails. Yeah. You can reach out to me. Uh, a lot of people got uh, Instagram and Facebook, uh, Kwame, Che, Shakur. Uh, you can always inbox me on there. Uh, um, also, Amazon, you can get it to Amazon, uh, but I like to send mine out, uh, autograph, copy, uh, you know, uh, and and put a few words in there, you know what I mean, uh, to a person that reached out to me. So uh, either way, you can uh, get a copy of my book. Uh, I, I would say a, a funny story talking about it's getting around. Uh, I was, when we was down in uh, Florida for my wife's miss anniversary uh, for her sister, uh, Kaya Taylor that's been missing for three years. Uh, we came across this sister named Cynthia from Milwaukee. And I, uh, she was like, oh, you got a, you got a uh, book out? She was like, I would like to, yeah. I was like, yeah. So I went in the room and I only had one copy that I was actually going to give to her cousin. <laughs> but she was like, uh, when she saw it, she was like, wow, I was just in Barnes and Nobles. And I was actually thinking about getting this book right here. You know what I mean? Now I'm sitting in the uh, living room with the person that wrote this book. You know what I mean? And I was like, what? I didn't even know it was in Barnes and Noble bookstores and stuff. You know what I mean? Uh, uh, but I found that out through her. And uh, I ended up signing her copy and giving it to her right then and there. Uh, I gave. I, I eventually sent her cousin one uh, a couple weeks later, <laughs> about a week later. So he had a copy, but yeah, it's getting out there. And uh, we just finished a book reading of uh, a mine for the uh, Second Rainbow Coalition book reading program. Uh, finished that up Monday today. Uh, if y'all wanna, uh, uh, anybody that's listening, wanna tune in tonight at 7 p.m. Eastern time, we're gonna be starting on High Thurman's book, um, uh, Revolutionary Hillbilly. And, uh, we uh if you miss any of these uh we have a youtube channel called the second rainbow coalition and you can uh log on to the youtube channel and follow up on uh uh the book discussions and the reading you know i mean right there on there so yeah i'm looking forward to uh you know using using these books continually to be a part of uh having these conversations uh connecting with different uh people different demographics like one thing i got out of the book reading program uh that we've been doing uh we was doing with my books my book was we was having a lot of discussions about a lot of different subjects you know what i mean and a lot of people was like man we don't have these type of spaces where we can have these discussions about this you know what i mean 
where people uh, can vicariously relate to your story. And a lot of people start talking about their own story. You know what I mean? And I agree with High Thurman. Like when I finished uh, mine, I was like, look, I hope this inspired a lot of y'all to start writing. Uh, and a few comrades was like, yeah, ever since we started this, like I'm thinking about writing my own and stuff. You know what I mean? And, and we need that for our generation. I look at, you know, when I put this out, I wanted to start the conversation like I admire a lot of the stuff our ancestors and the comrades of the uh, 60s did. You know what I'm saying? We need to start speaking to our generation and telling our generation what did we learn from them? <laughs> you know what I mean? What has our generation learned from them that we can synthesize in a way that we can take the good, the bad, and the ugly and make it into something that we can adapt to, to our generation. And we need to start speaking to our generation directly. You know what I'm saying? And that that was one of the purposes of writing this book. You know what I mean? I want to inspire other revolutionaries of our generations. And let's start having these conversations with each other with books that we write that's going to speak to what we need to do for our generation to yeah. make this a successful uh, revolutionary movement and and carry on their legacy to its completion. You know what I mean? Yeah, so, and yeah, and just to, I'm sorry. Uh, uh, that's all. Just just uh, case in point, what what Kwame's saying. When I was out at uh, University of California Merced last month, uh, I was speaking to a group of well, a class of fifty advanced sociologist students. And, and my first question to them is, how many people have, have heard about the Rainbow Coalition? Two people raised their hands. You know, wow. 48 people in there had never even heard of it. And, and the instructor had just heard about it through, you know, what we went when we went out there. And so it's, it's really important, you know, to try to, he's right, you know, Kwame's right, get it out to your generation. Because my generation, they're they're kind of not around anymore, you know, a lot of them. So uh, we need to do whatever we can do. And the other thing about Kwame's book is, it was banned in was it Indiana prisons? Yeah, Indiana. <laughs> uh, three weeks in, <laughs> they was like, nope, this is allowed here. You know what I mean? So, <laughs> luckily, it's been getting into other prisons at other states. Uh, I have uh, several comrades that have been sending them in to different prisons, uh, different states, and they've been able to get them in. So hopefully uh, this going to be connecting to a lot of uh, people that's going to be getting out. You know what I'm saying? That 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 can take, you know, some of the the journey of that I started in prison and realize, like, y'all in there, we need to start to build up a prison liberation movement. You know, uh, one thing, uh, you know, New African Black Panther Party, White Panthers, uh, the strategy uh, that I totally agree with, always agree with this strategy that we need to turn razor wire fences into schools of liberation. You know what I'm saying? Meaning turning the prison liberation movement is a critical part of the revolutionary movement. You know what I'm saying? So tapping into yeah. that demographic, I think is going to wow. be fundamental into helping building up the the leadership of this generation, those brothers and sisters getting out, they have a lot of time in there to study, to read, and put some of this stuff in action. You know what I mean? So I yeah. look forward to see how that develops. <laughs> you know, Kawami, you just gave me the title of a book that I'm working on now. Okay. Razor Wire Fences. And right. I, I love that because it's it's about um, 
prison poetry and songs and stories and conditions in the prisons. And I, I've collected a lot of stuff here that I want to put into it. I don't know how big it's, the book's going to be, but I love that. I love that title. Okay. <laughs> oh, yeah. Hey, use that. Uh, um, I inspired his, the title of his new uh, book. <laughs> yeah yeah rob rich which is funny because i was gonna i was gonna say uh you know uh the the white panthers are working on a prison program that involves education and correspondence um but rob rich uh said the next george jackson's yeah 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 yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. well even uh um uh, tana um uh, Geneva just wrote an article. Well, she wrote an article about the Young Patriots back a few years ago and, and got into the uh, Washington Post. And some of you have seen it because we've been sharing it on our, our Facebook. But she just, she has a, a, a newsletter that went out and she's writing about a man that spent 18 years in prison. And they finally let him out because they found out how corrupt the court system was back then. Uh. You know, so they're finding out we're finding out more and more of people in prison, you know, that, that, you know, didn't do anything. Yeah. <laughs> and they're just, they're just fucking, you know, ruining people's lives and families, you know? And I think, well, yeah. Uh, and, it, and it comes down to politics so yeah. often. Yeah. Look at, look at Florida. I mean, Florida is the first place on earth to live. I mean, as far as I'm concerned right now with what they're doing, Mm, yeah, they want to lock everybody up, and 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 with this cultural war that they have going, and right. also here in here in Alabama, they use COVID uh, funds to build three, four profit prisons. Oh, well, <laughs> and and because um, uh, the for profit prisons threatened to sue Alabama because they weren't filling up their jails. Mm. Uh, so you can look at more and more and more people going to jail yeah and i, yeah. And I was uh we used to visit the ice detainees here in alabama oh terrible conditions you know they were treated like animals and their food you know they even reported that they had maggots in their food uh, mm. some of them didn't have a change of underwear or socks or anything for a year mm. uh, they were harassed they were beaten you know and the the sheriff uh, you see, anytime there was money left over at the end of the year that's supposed to go to the prisoners, uh, the sheriff could take that money. And he took it, retired, moved to Florida, bought a big mansion. You know, so they're, they're, they were keeping that money. And we protested, you know, I got some legislation passed finally that there's a separate committee to review that now. And they're not going to do that. So they didn't care. You know, they don't care how they treat people, you know. Yeah. So I think the more we can get out there and the more we can work with people who's been incarcerated, I mean, they can really get the word over. I was in jail for a little while, nothing like Kwame or, or any others, but, um, you know, but that's what we need. We need to really look for that to start working yeah. in that direction. Yeah. yeah and, 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 and I say this, being a dialectical materialist, we always see that it's, uh, things can turn into this opposite. Uh, at one point, prisons was like uh, turning out revolutionaries like George Jackson, like consistently, 
and they saw that, you know what I mean? Uh, you you gave rise, uh, it gave rise to a lot of people uh, gravitating to revolutionary politics. Uh, some of the things the Black Panther Party was doing not only transformed the conditions out here where you had the government want to establish WIC, you know what I mean, and give uh, breakfast to kids and stuff to undermine what the Black Panther Party was doing. They was doing some of those uh, uh, type of reforms in prison and stuff. But since then, it turned back into its opposite again. Even what we see out here, where a lot of stuff is being rolled back that we fought for in the 60s and 70s, you know what I mean? Got rid of abortion in this country. Like a lot of people never thought they would attack the women demographic like that. You know what I'm saying? Uh, but that was a start of fascism really taking hold in this country and a lot of stuff being rolled back where now, like, uh, like how I was saying, like Florida is like one of the fascist uh, capitals <laughs> of the world. Like they, we can't teach black history no more uh, down there. Uh, they stopped, uh, they started attacking the LGBTQI community and uh, in the education down there, uh, down in uh, uh, Texas. Uh, you can't even use the word slavery in the book books now. It's involuntary relocation. What the fuck is that? You know what I'm saying? Involuntary. Let, let's call it what it is. It's chattel slavery. <laughs> People was beaten and, and abused and molested and captured and put on plantation and terrorized. Like, you know what I mean? This is a part of the fascist dynamic. And what uh, uh, Michelle Alexander uh, disclosed in the new Jim Crow, like it's being played out right before our eyes. They keep on expanding this uh, this mass incarceration. But like she said, this was a counterinsurgency uh, against the 60s. You know what I'm saying? This is their response of trying to prevent a movement like the 60s uh, happening again. And they're trying to disconnect us from this population in prison where they like cutting off visits. A lot of prisons can't even get contact visits no more. Uh, during COVID-19, a lot of people don't realize this. In Indiana prisons, I'm pretty sure this was happening across the country. It was a lot of people overdosing from uh, heroin and fentanyl right here in the prisons. But they couldn't get no visits and stuff. You dig what I'm saying? But they was using that to cut off visits to say <coughs> the visitors is bringing in drugs. Well, if that's the case, well, how is the biggest pop uh, uh, spike in deaths is happening uh, during COVID-19 when no visitors is able to uh, uh, come into the prisoners' uh, prisons? But yet, y'all having a record amount of overdoses. Uh, at that time, it was a record amount of suicides happening and stuff. So this is a part of the repression that they're carrying out against our class, against different particular demographics and stuff. Uh, within our communities that we had to take note of. And th this is why we had to pay attention to these situations like uh, Leon Benson, you know what I'm saying? That was been in there 24 and a half years for something he ain't do. And it's a lot of us that's in there uh, due to that. I remember when, uh, just like he was talking about, they, uh, they was uh, wanting to, to fill up a lot of the beds uh, of these prisons and stuff. Imagine uh, the fact of the matter that these beds is, not being filled by rich people. <laughs> They've been filled by lower class, black, brown, and white. <laughs> you dig what I'm saying? Uh, people uh, in our society and stuff. So this is a uh, part of the uh, uh, front front lines that we got to pay attention to that's going to become a, a bigger and, and greater 
integral part of the revolutionary movement in this country. So I'm glad that we even talking about the prison aspect because this is something that we got to start to gravitate even more so and building networks uh, around these conditions in there and fighting back against these conditions. Yeah, and you know, uh, one of the other interesting things since you're talking about the 60s and 70s, uh, man, ever you know, people were poor and they, they said they were poor because, you know, mm -hmm. they, they had no credit. They couldn't get any health care. They couldn't get, you know, uh, anything. And I remember that. And, and, and so what happened was Wall Street and the government uh, started realizing that the quickest way, one of the quickest ways to kill a, a poor people's movement was to give them credit, you know? And, 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 and this is one of the reasons that the poor people's campaign now is, is having problems uh, is because uh, if you go talk to people and I talk to a lot of poor folks, they, a lot of them don't want to be called poor uh, mm. because they say, hey, I'm not poor. You know, I, I got the same thing as everybody else has. I had my big, you know, flat TV. I got an old clunker sitting, in the, you know, here, um, you know, uh, but they owe for it. Mm -hmm. you know? They're still in debt and they're still in poverty. But right. according to them, psychologically, they're not poor. Because right. people are not, you know, the poor people's campaign uh, tries to convince people that, yeah, you are poor, but they don't believe it. I mean, they got the same thing as, you know, as, as the guy down the street. They got this, you know, computer I'm looking at. They got that cell phone. Uh, they got that flat screen TV. They got that old clunker, you know. And I remember you couldn't even go into the hospital without money. Uh, I got a hand now that I can barely, you know, I got uh, only 80% of its use because of when I was hurt and went into a hospital with no, um, you know, with no health care. So yeah. if you try to convince them that they're poor, a lot of people said, don't worry, poor, you know, but they are, you know. Yeah. You are when you owe for years on every little thing that you got and you're still living paycheck to paycheck and hand to mouth. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I get, I, I, I bet you I get 10, I bet you I get 10 offers uh, a week for a credit card. Mm -hmm. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and yeah, just to piggyback off of that, I mean, uh, like my fiance, for example, like, I, I mean, you know, she's like, well, we're, we're not poor. I have a good job, blah, blah, blah. But like, she's also got six figures of fucking student debt. Like, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it sounds like a lot of money until you're living off of it and paying those payments. Yeah, yeah. that's it. You know, and, and, and let it happen. I mean, I see these folks coming in to get their car repaired. They can't afford to get their car repaired. So, you know, yeah. they repair the car because they need that to get it get to work or to mm -hmm. get their kids to school or whatever. Because and and then what happens is you know, a person living paycheck to paycheck loses their job and they can't get a job. They lose their, you know, they lose their shelter. They lose yep. their car. They and some people even lose their kids. Yeah. And some people just just lose it and commit suicide. And, yeah. and and you know, that's just 
that's the way this fucking capitalist system is, you know? They don't give a shit about anybody except where you're going to get that money. Look at all the, the billionaires that came billionaires all of a sudden. You know, yeah. I mean, they're all over. But anyway, uh, I just think that we need to get more and more and more of this going on here, what we're doing now. Yeah, I, I would like to add to that. Uh, think about this. The, where I work at right now, there's a lot of people that work two jobs. <laughs> just to make it. And I be thinking to myself, I'm like, man, you know, luckily, luckily, uh, you know, uh, and, and I put myself in the working class, like, uh, category. A lot of people be like, uh, you know, since my wife, she's a nurse and stuff and does, uh, make pretty good money compared to Florida <laughs> up here. And that's a, that's another thing, like the demographics around the country, like, uh, like, she, if we was down in Florida, I, I would be making just as much as her, possibly. You know what I'm saying? Like, they don't pay uh, nurses and people shit down in Florida. You know what I'm saying? I'm a I'm a certified welder, and I, they was talking about paying me $12 an hour. <laughs> I was like, man, I can go wow. and make $15 an hour easily with no skills. You know what I'm saying? But down in Florida, she was uh, getting like $24 an hour. But in, in certain locations, they we don't see like the real state of conditions. You know what I'm saying? Like Indianapolis is probably one of the very few places, because I go a lot of places that skilled work, uh, unskilled work can get a higher dollar. You know what I'm saying? But even even just imagine this: $20 an hour is in this economy is a hard pro like. Mm -hmm. People still working two jobs. <laughs> the inflation mm -hmm. rate of all the goods and services and the bills, like even the apartments and stuff like that is going up. You know what I'm saying? So it's even hard for people here in Indianapolis just to survive off of that uh, $18, $19, $20 uh, hour job. You know what I'm saying? So that's another thing. Like when people have to take in consideration, if you work in two jobs just to maintain your household, you know what I'm saying? You obviously ain't a middle class person and you got to realize like the system is rigged against you. You know what I'm saying? It was once upon a time when the uh, when uh, the American dream was the man was the provider. He worked one job and he could take care of all these kids and his wife. Now the wife, the husband and the kids is out there on the plantation. <laughs> you know what I mean? just to uh, survive and support the household. You know what I'm saying? And that's really, and this one thing I, I recognize, you know what I'm saying? That's the real state of affairs around uh, 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 the United States right now. Uh, that's why when we was out in California, we saw so many homeless people out there. You know what I'm saying? We saw it in yeah. encampments. Like I, I, I've never saw a fenced in area where you saw all these tents and, and this is in Oakland, people. This is like, this is in the heart of where the Black Panther Party started at. You know what I'm saying? I don't think that's by coincidence. I think that's by design. Like how they saw that area as a place that they needed to repress. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And uh, we saw a big, long uh, parking lot area that was turned into a homeless encampment. Uh, encampment. 
You know what I'm saying? I don't, I think another thing, because I was talking about people dying in prison over the heroin and fentanyl overdoses. We, we, yeah. we got to understand we under, this is a class struggle and it's a class war going on and drugs is the weapons of mass destruction that they're using against our community right now. They're not just dying in prison. People overdosing from fentanyl out here. Like I, I hear that they've even putting weed uh, in fentanyl and weed out here. You know what I'm saying? Like this is not by coincidence, this is by design. And <clears throat> we need to start thinking about even those type of programs. I, I like that the White Panthers got uh, the Narcan program helping <clears throat> a lot of these uh, brothers and sisters that's having these overdoses out here. Uh, that's strung out on drugs. This is a part of the counterinsurgency strategy. If you hooked on drugs, like you're not thinking about a uh, revolution. If you hooked on drugs, you ain't thinking about uh, solidarity with your community. You know what I'm saying? And uh, uh, these are things that we have to continually be aware of, uh, talk about and, and, and develop different strategies of how we attack this. And again, salute to the uh, White Panthers on uh, the Narcan program and uh, providing that as a resource to help at least uh, uh, the, uh, individuals to get their life, uh, maintain their life, you know what I'm saying? After overdosing on certain drugs and stuff. But yeah, yeah. this is a problem that we need to pay more and more attention to speak on. Yeah, actually, um, I, I wanna just elaborate on a couple things there. The uh, Narcan thing, we're starting to work that into our housing work out here. Um, like when we met up with uh, the people that are living at the Cranston Street Armory in Providence the first time, one of the first requests, uh, you know, when we were asking, like, how can we help? Uh, one of the first requests was Narcan. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. Um, also the, the situation in California. Um, the last time that I was in California was like three years ago. I went on vacation there when I was living in Arizona. And I was in Santa Monica, right? Which is like super bougie, right? Um, there's like a, like a plaza basically right off the pier of all these like bougie stores and shit. And that whole area uh, was, you know, people sleeping under tarps or sleeping in tents or sleeping, yeah. you know, just in a sleeping bag. Mm. That whole area. And yeah. uh, in that yeah. same vacation, I went to the Hollywood Starwalk and the whole fucking street is, you know, lined with people sleeping under the overhangs right. over, over stores. Um, mm -hmm. Somebody in the comments said that they live in California and the whole state is bad. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, yeah. right. Uh, we went to like five cities <laughs> for the yeah. tour up there. And we saw it everywhere. And, and remember, like California is supposed to be like one of the richest uh, place that California is richer than a lot of countries. <laughs> you know right. what I mean? Right. Uh, but California, just like a lot of places, uh, have third world conditions that is hidden from people unless we talk about it. Like people talk about Skid Row. Uh, Skid Row is scattered across all of California. It's scattered across Portland. It's scattered across Seattle. Like we start seeing a lot of this stuff, you know what I mean? In the Midwest, they try to sweep this under the rug and start banning and making laws against homeless people. It's a war on the homeless, you know what I mean? Just like back in the mm -hmm. 60s, it was a war on poverty, which was really a war on us, you know what I'm saying? Uh, 
but this this is a major problem that uh like when we was out in uh Philadelphia, we was in Kensington uh, uh area. We went to a place called Needle Park. Yeah. Like I've never been in a park where people was shooting up drugs right there in front of you, like slumping over. The police is riding around in uh bicycles. They was monitoring the situation. This was like a uh uh uh, unwritten policy that they had where they was going to control the drug market uh, out there. And this is why I feel like this is a part of a counterinsurgency. This is a weapons of mass destruction. This is chemical warfare. It's genocide. Community. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Because they they understand how, how this helps maintain this system. You know what I'm saying? By keeping us as strung out on drugs uh, uh, and this the complete hopelessness, complete alienation from our community, our ourselves. You know what I'm saying? Uh, this is what this reflection of. And I, I want to keep this, everyone keep this in mind. This is the same government that was bringing cocaine and crack into our community uh, back in the 80s. We all familiar with the Freeway Rick Ross story. You know what I'm saying? With the CIA was working uh, and the DEA was working with them uh, with uh, and funding that situation over in Nicaragua, uh, in El Salvador, you know what I'm saying, in the 80s. But also, this is another thing, uh, a story uh, with uh, El Chapo. If you have a chance to watch, uh, uh, it's on Netflix, it's called El Chapo. Watch that. It sets out how the DEA had a deal with El Chapo. Mm -hmm. uh, you know what I mean? We know he locked up right now, but that's because he bought, bit the hand that fed them. You know what I'm saying? But he was allowing, uh, the DEA had a, a, a agreement with allowing El Chapo to pump drugs into uh, the United States as long as he kept on giving up uh, drug dealers and making it seem like uh, the war on drugs was real. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, how you going to call up uh, the uh, the the biggest drug dealer in the world at the time, and say we're fighting the war on drugs, but you're allowing this individual to pump drugs in our community. One of the places that they said most of the drugs was going to, of all places, was Chicago. Imagine yeah. why? Why Chicago? Because Chicago was the hub, really, of a uh, in a lot of ways of the revolutionary movement in the in the sixties. You know what I'm saying? Even the street organizations was coming together, which was the original. A lot of the original street organizations in the Midwest started in Chicago. Uh, the Rainbow Coalition started in Chicago. They was bringing unity in Chicago. You know what I'm saying? So eighty percent of the drugs was going to a location where they said we don't never want Chicago ever to get it back together. You know what I'm saying? This is why we see the crime, the, the violence and the killing up there in Chicago. This is all uh, being directed as a part of a class war against us. You know what I'm saying? And we we definitely yeah. got to pay attention. Yeah, I wanted to, to that point, um, there's a scene in The Godfather, if you've seen those, where uh, they were bringing, just getting into the drug uh, business. And uh, one one uh, one of the one of the leaders said, uh, who, "Who care?" You know, said somebody said, "This is not right. We shouldn't get into this." And and they said, "Well, go sell it in the black neighborhoods because, you know, why should we care if they destroy their soul?" You know, and and that's the way it was. And in Chicago, to your point there, and also to Philadelphia, um, uh, you know, what is it, Kensington Street? Um, yeah. 
they, they, they allow drug dealers to come down on that street and sell drugs openly. And they want the, and they don't even bother them, you know, and we walk down that street. I tell you, <laughs> uh, people, first person I saw walked up and said, hey, man, you got any powder, you know, and, you know, and they, they were kept, you know, they kept bothering us to some extent. But the thing about Chicago is that now I will say that, and Cha-Cha and I talked about this, uh, the Young Lords, uh, the, uh, the Panthers, the Young Patriots, uh, some of the other groups, on a weekly basis, they would find a, a drug, uh, they, they would find a bag of cocaine somewhere that was meant for their members. They really wanted, uh, you know, these us to get strung out on drugs. The other thing was they took guns. The, the, the cops would take stolen and uh, confiscated guns and drop them into these neighborhoods and hoping that the gangs would kill each other. You know, so there was never a lack of drugs or a lack of guns, you know, within these communities. And that's what people don't realize. And, and Kwame's right. That's where the, you know, the Rainbow Coalition started. That's where Mayor Daley had the war on gangs. Uh, that's, that's where they came in with the COINTELPRO. Uh, they were all over the place, the Red Squad. Uh, they were so much harassing and taking people's uh, medications as they left the clinic. Um, you know, and they would brutalize people and kill people. But then on the other hand, they were known to give people drugs, even within the community and getting, and hopefully to get them, you know, hooked on drugs. And, and luckily at that time, it wasn't a big part of the Southern culture, <coughs> alcohol was. And so it took some time before it reached the community, but they would definitely try to get people, you know, hooked on drugs because they had a, a bottomless supply of drugs, mm -hmm. you know? And so cops were out there selling it. You know, I've known a lot of cops that went out there and sold drugs, you know, uh, selling IDs, you know, false IDs, you know. And that's one of the, the first things that happened to me was I was thrown in the back of a squad car. And one of the first questions was, let me see your ID. And I said, well, I'm, I can't because I'm only 17 and I, I, you know, I'm not a draft age or anything. And they said, well, you want to buy one? They were going to sell me a fake ID. Wow. You know? and, and, and so they were constantly into that stuff all the time. Uh, even that uh, Somerville police station in the area was busted in 1959 for stolen <laughs> prostitution, drugs. And they had their own burglars uh, that would go out and they'd say, hey, you know, uh, I'm, having a, I'm having a cookout this weekend. You know, you got to go out and get this for me, or I'm gonna throw you in jail for some crime. And or when they were busted finally by the FBI, they had to go into one cop's house and take a ring off of his wife's finger. You know, and and that's that's how corrupt they were, extremely corrupt. And so, um, I don't know if there's any hope, you know, for any police department. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, anti-cop all the way, but you know, <laughs> right. if, if they can do that again, you know what they've done is they've destroyed the movement, 
uh, drugs, you know, with credit, with a lot of different areas, or just just by oppression. And I think we need to be educated to that point. We got to know enough to talk about it. Yeah, absolutely. I I, I would say uh, to follow up on that, uh, like I said, we not uh, saying that the police uh, uh, is ever the solution. You know, uh, that's why we even bringing this up. Because a lot of people think the police uh, somehow here to serve and protect us, uh, you know, we still because they painted on their cars. Yeah, <laughs> and and when we as kids, Officer Friendly used to come to our schools and try to convince us that uh, he's here to fight crime and and protect our community and all this other stuff. You know what I mean? But that's all bullshit. Like we see, like the more we uh, became conscious of what really going on in our community, uh, they they was behind a lot of this stuff. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's going on in our community: the violence, the crime, the drugs. You know what I'm saying? And it's gonna take us like building uh, networks within our communities to start to take back our communities and stuff. You know what I mean? This is another thing that I want people to get out of like this uh uh principal unity tour it's 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 us that's the solution to the problems all the problems in our community is going to be solved by us it's not going to be solved by the democratic party it's not going to be solved by the republican party it's not going to be resolved by the state you know what i'm saying it's their mission it's their class interest to maintain the dysfunction that is going on in our community you know what i'm saying this this book this book when I when I publish this book and they ban this book, uh, and Leon can talk about this now he's out. <laughs> he can really explain to people. They told him they said, "Yeah, we're banning this uh, because Kwame he works with gangs and stuff, and uh, we don't want to promote that." And I was like, uh, "They even told him, uh, yeah, Kwame did some uh, event uh, in Indianapolis at the church uh, back in July 2020." Uh, and I knew they knew about it because they was out there undercovers taking pictures of everybody that was coming there. You know what I mean? But the whole purpose of the this event was street organization leaders of the 60s going to tell this generation, like, y'all got to stop killing each other. Y'all got to stop the violence in our community. Y'all got to start thinking about building up the community and not being a part of the problem. And they told them their real history is like, look, we started off by protecting our community. Like we wasn't out here beefing. This is what the the uh, the system uh, undermined us. You dig know what I'm saying? And locked a lot of us away and 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 put people in place that they fed drugs and guns and stuff to to undermine what we was trying to do. We was about you know liberation of our community and stuff at that point. Like Martin Luther King lived in our neighborhoods, was organizing and using us for his security. Fred Hampton and stuff was working with the street organizations. You know what I mean? Uh, this is the real legacy and stuff, but they saw that as a threat. Think about this. Everything that's been positive <coughs> has been a threat. Like speaking about history down in Florida is banned. Why? Because that's a threat. You know what I'm saying? Black history books and stuff taught in uh, the books that was uh, being sent to prisoners and stuff was banned, like you couldn't get, uh, they started banning books about the Black Panthers. They started banning books about uh, uh, Malcolm X, Mar even Martin Luther King. This is a person that y'all got a federal holiday at, but in certain places in this country, they look at him as, no, we have to ban everything, even uh, associated with Martin Luther King. You know what I'm saying? So 
this is this is the class struggle that we really up against. And it's gonna be us that's gonna be the solution to the problem. And this is the message that we want to project throughout this whole principal unity tour. Right. Like the prison system tries to pretend like it is there to reform and fucking help people rebuild their lives and get away from the violent shit or whatever that was in their past. Right. But that speaks volumes right fucking there that when that's precisely what you're doing is trying to redirect them of like, no, how about we build something positive in our community instead of fighting each yeah. other? That they're like, oh, wait, you're a fucking threat. Are you kidding? <laughs> that that speaks all you need to know about their motivation there that they're like, wait a minute, you're causing trouble by getting them on the right track. What? Right. <laughs> right. Yeah, you know, uh, I had a uh, person to look at that. You've seen that iconic picture of uh, of the Rainbow Coalition where mm -hmm. we're all together. Um, yeah. As a, uh, a, someone showed it to uh, a, a friend of his or his boss, actually, and he said, oh, yeah, well, it was, it was my nephew that did it, said, this is my uncle right here in this picture. And he said, what's wrong with him? Doesn't he like white people? <laughs> you know, that was, the, that was the first thing he thought of. I didn't like white people because I'm associated with black people. Wow. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's wild. It is. It, it really is. It's, it, you know, and, and we, like Kamami's saying, we're the ones that got to keep it going somehow. Right. Somehow we got to do it. And the only thing is we don't have a national leader, um, but I think the Rainbow Coalition could be a national leader uh, yeah. eventually uh, because we need that. Right. We need it really? desperately. You know, and, 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 and sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say we, we need to get a, a bail bond going because people are going to be arrested and people are going to get hurt you know eventually uh, it, somehow what we're doing is have to, it's going to come back you know the, the, the cops are gonna you know they're gonna them are you know white supremacists or you know nazis uh, you know whoever is gonna you know they're they're gonna cause they're gonna start causing trouble especially with trump and and that you know people with an iq of 30 Right. So, well, let's not let's not forget the people that are just as fascist as Trump, but you know, yeah, smarter. Ron DeSantis. Right. I mean, we keep talking about fucking Florida. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They instituted uh, um, anti-propaganda curriculum. Why he's taking out Black History and not just Black History, uh, all. Uh, people of color in history, you know what I mean? They just banned it. Robert Clemente's book. Uh, he's a <laughs> he was a, a, a major league uh, uh, baseball player, you know what I mean? And yeah. they found a reason to even ban his book, uh, you know. Uh, but he's gonna now, in replace of this, uh, he's gonna institute a liter uh, curriculum uh, of starting up this red scare shit again, you know what I'm saying? He's trying mm. to. Uh, build up this McCarthy, the new era of McCarthyism uh, for our generation, where people start to you even if you probably use the word socialism, communism, stuff like that, uh, which most people still don't know what that even is. <laughs> you know, to ask the average person, oh, uh, so what is it? Uh, I, I really don't know. Okay, think about that. They they creating a boogeyman 
and they're start to, they're about to start indoctrinating our our kids down in Florida with that shit. You know what I'm saying? Uh, and this is one thing. Uh, I, I that uh, we we building. This is going to be a protracted struggle, and we're going to be building layers upon layers of how we build this infrastructure. But one one thing I always advocate is that we eventually get back to our own liberation schools. Like when we start getting these institutions uh, uh, that uh, in our community, that's going to be a critical pillar to the revolutionary movement because we can start keeping off right with a decolonialized mentality. You know what I'm saying? A revolutionary mentality and start to see themselves as leaders of the uh, the new uh, society that we want to bring in in place. Uh, you know what I mean? And this is going to be critical to uh, building a generation that didn't have to educate themselves because <laughs> they never got miseducation in the first place. You know what I'm saying? But right now, yeah. that's one of the critical components uh, that we're struggling against in our generation is because. Uh, we all was indoctrinated by these colonial schools. You know what I'm saying? So we're all going through a re-educational process uh, to even help us understand the reality of what the history of this country was even about. This is one reason why they don't want this curriculum in schools no more uh, that even speaks anything about it because they don't want people to know the struggles that we went through. They don't want to know that we united with each other against the system. They don't want to know about uh, teacher, but they never talked about the Rainbow Coalition when I was going to school. <laughs> you know what I mean? I didn't even know who Fred Hampton was until I went to prison. You know what I'm saying? And found out about Fred Hampton. I didn't even, I used to think the Black Panther Party was a racist Ku Klux Klan type of organization that yep. Black people was uh, doing. Like, think about that type of propaganda. You know what I mean? Uh, so it's going to be us that's going to have to be the ones that, you know, prepare the next generation uh, for this struggle going ahead with proper education, a scientific education, a proper understanding of our uh, class struggle throughout the year. Yeah, God damn right. Yeah. Especially in the shit that they were proposing, replacing critical race theory with and shit was shit like, OK, how about we start teaching Florida students black conservatism? And black capitalism. That's what they wanted to fucking replace real black history, real American history with was capitalism and conservatism. Mm -hmm. And it's like, these motherfuckers are really trying everything that they can think of to push things as fascist as they can. Right. That's fucked. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. 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 That's where we at nowadays. Uh, well, Kwame, wasn't your wife just uh, sent to Facebook jail? Yeah, she posted a thing about a miss, missing person. <laughs> and they put her on uh, Facebook jail for like a day. Uh, and that's what she do. Everybody know her sister is missing. You know what I mean? Like we, we not, this is not a national crisis right now, uh, missing people. Uh, why is it because the government is involved in some of this human trafficking <laughs> that y'all want to start uh, intimidating yeah. people that are setting out this type of stuff? You know what I mean? That's ridiculous. You know yeah, I, I, mean? was, uh, I was put in jail for uh, using uh, the word imperialism. Tell that story. Oh, I don't think there's a st another Where story in the Bible that's been told more times. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Amen. 
Yeah, that is crazy. Like uh, we seeing on social media, uh, this is part of that class struggle that they waging. Like they temp trying to intimidate. I remember when in twenty twenty when we was really doing a lot of boots on the ground work around police brutality. Uh, uh, they literally would hack into my phone. You know what I'm saying? And shut yeah. my Facebook all the way down. Like my battery go <laughs> from a hundred percent to zero and cut off on me when we were shut down the streets here in Indianapolis. You know what I'm saying? Uh, they used to blur out uh, different uh, uh, actions that we were doing. When we was out in California for the book tour, they was hacking into our phone and rerouting our GPS. You know what I'm saying? Uh, trying to prevent us from even going to these bookstores and doing these uh, uh, presentations. One time uh, we was going to... Uh, uh, from Oakland to San Francisco to uh, one of the book presentation spots and GPS started relocating, uh, redirecting me two hours and nine minutes away from the location that we were supposed to go to. Uh, I forget what city, I want to say we was in Merced where they was uh, uh, messing with me and Hyde's phone where they were sending us all over the place. Luckily, uh, another comrade was with us where we used his GPS and then finally got us to the location. Like these are the undermining things that they're doing. They've been hacking into uh, High Thurman's bank account. Uh, they deleted my phone number from his phone. <laughs> you know, where yeah. phone, uh, he had to reach out to me on Facebook recently. He was like, hey, Conrad, I need you to resend me your phone number. Because uh, they deleted, my your phone number was deleted in my phone amongst other people. Like this yeah, is- yeah, my computers uh, have been attacked uh, over and over again, you know. Uh, I've had to get rid of two desktops because it's been ruined. We get constantly hacked and my computer taken over by ransomware and all this stuff. It just, you know. Wow. You got to watch it. You got to watch it. They'll do it. Right. They're desperate. They'll use any means they can access. Yeah. Cointel Pro is real. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah, and it didn't go away either. Never did. Right. It's not a resurgence of it. It never stopped. <laughs> it never stopped. You know, and, and another case in point is uh, I went to get a, a gun permit here in Alabama and I got rejected, of course. And um, they told me the reason why they, they had... Uh, <laughs> really two false arrests from me on the FBI list. Uh, and I had to contact Chicago and I had to contact uh, Rock Island, uh, Illinois, and get an affidavit saying that, and they said they don't know anything about it, except I was supposed to add, uh, supposed to have, uh, you know, I was never charged with it. They, they tried to charge us with burglary, which was stupid in, in Rock Island. We went to a university to uh, promote our Revolution II film and was invited to a party. And then we went to a party. And uh, as we were leaving the party, we were surrounded by the cops. Um, and and, and they, they took, handcuffed us, put it in the back of the car. We said, what are you charging us with? And then they took us into the jail. And I don't know, it was about two in the morning or something after that is early. And and took each of us, there's three of us, separate times, 
individually, they took us into a room with the, the two FBI agents and, and the, the uh, sheriff. And they said that they found a collector's coin uh, on the seat of where we were sitting in the squad car and that they were going to charge us with theft and burglary. Wow. And, and they, and they said, Oh, also we have a bag of white powdered substance in your car and we don't know what it is. So we can't let you out. We're analyzing this. And they said, uh, we could also charge you with, uh, with possession of a narcotic. And we said, we don't know a damn thing what you're talking about. And they said, but you know, I mean, there are ways of getting out of this if you can work with me, you know? And so they wanted us to be their informants, you know? And, uh, and we just told them, you know, fuck you. We didn't, we're not doing anything because we, we're not doing anything for you because we didn't do anything. Well, we got up, um, our lawyer to come down and it was, that was like on a Monday. This, this is, uh, Friday when this happened and we had to stay the whole weekend. And then on Monday, the, the lawyer came down and said, you either charge these guys with something, show us proof, or we're going to file a, you know, a false arrest suit. So they, they let, they let us go. But as we, they wanted to know what the hell is this white substance that we, you know, we've tested it for everything. And we said, it's dog powder, you know, flea powder belonged to the guy that owned the car. So it was just some powders for his dog's fleas. And so they didn't charge us, but it went on the FBI list, see? And, and so that, I found that out and I had to get an affidavit and I still can't get it erased. Um, wow. charges. So they'll do anything they can do just to, you know, fuck with you. And I know a lot of people now who's got the same problem. They're, um, you know, they got a false statement on the FBI and uh, they, they can't seem to get it off. And I was told, well, you have to go to court and do this and do that. And I said, hey, I ain't going anywhere, you know. I'm not going to put up with that. You'll find something else to charge me with or, or charge me guilty, you know, the way these courts. Uh, or, you know, like charge you with contempt of court because you <laughs> took them to court over a false arrest. Yeah, I mean. They'll they, just make shit up. They've done they it before. Ways, they have ways of doing that, you know. and uh, And so... I've got proof that I was never charged for any of this, but yet it's still on my record as an FBI with the FBI files that I was arrested. You know, so they're going to, and I know that's kept me from getting jobs and, and other things over the years because, uh, you know, I even went into a bank and tried to open the account one time. They wouldn't allow it. And they said, well, there's something on your federal record. You know, so that's wild. Wouldn't give me a damn bank account. So I, I know that a lot of other people have gone through the same thing. Yeah, I mean, not not, <laughs> you know, something like that, but I did have an issue applying for a job. I don't know, probably like seven, eight years ago, something like that. I was trying to get a cook job at a, at a nursing home, I think it was. And um, an arrest from when I was 17, which yeah. I was charged with minor in possession of alcohol and uh they were originally going to charge I, I did get charged with minor in possession of alcohol they were originally going to charge me with assault and battery but like when it went to court it was determined you know that didn't fucking happen um 
but of course you know they charged me as an yeah. adult yada 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 and then like sure. a decade later i didn't get a job because that was still on my report yep yep that's it that's it it's hard to get it off there so you imagine how many people got it on there now that they're, they're charging people just to you know and, and they want to you know they all want to look good they want it's like cops writing tickets you know you give them a quota and they're going to get it somehow or another and it's just like if they gotta you know have to show these feds and other cops showing that they doing a good job they got to have something to show for it you know yeah and so that's what right. it's all about you know destroy people's lives just because of their you know their career you know and if you're lucky enough they don't shoot you you know you know, so, you know, I just read a report of, was it Louisville? One of the, I forget now, but they turned the attack dogs on, onto a kid and they chewed his arm off, you know? Wow. And on, and they chewed, you know, another guy and they almost chewed his foot off, you know, and neither one of them were resisting arrest, you know, according to the, the body cams. They were both laying down when this happened and they just set the dogs on them and, and said, bite you know and so that's what that's what they are they, you know they just they're sick most of them i got a copy right next door to me and he said that all the people living in the projects down there are just animals you know wow that's his attitude toward them i mean that's not even like you know fascism behind a facade that is that is straight up fascist thought well he's got this huge confederate flag in his garage and he just he just uh, uh, reconditioned the general, you know, that car that was on uh, Dukes of Hazard. It's, he just redid that and it's got this huge damn flag on top of it. You know, he's got the Confederate flag on the back of his truck, you know, and he's on the police force. <coughs> so, you know where he's coming from. This, this, this is that's well, who they look for when they're hiring what's that i said that's who they look for when they're hiring they're looking for motherfuckers <laughs> who literally have like an 80 to 90 iq tops of like just smart enough to understand orders not smart enough to question them people who have a proclivity for violence and yeah. who already have these fucking stigmas as far as their views of others where they are ready and willing to dehumanize anybody they see as different yes. and will have to take violence against them. That's yeah. what they seek out yeah. in their hiring. Sure, they want, they want people, they train people to kill. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> there, was a, there was another instance here in Alabama where um, uh, a man was threatening to kill himself with a flare gun. And he was, you know, you could, you know, he had mental problems. And uh, there were two cops in there trying to, they were trying to talk him down. And this other Rambo cop comes walking in with a shotgun. And he tells the guy to put it down. And uh, the guy made a move actually to himself. And then he blew the guy's head off. And, uh, and, but this ain't all the story. What the interesting thing is, uh, the city council here in Huntsville, Alabama, kept him on the force and, and, and paid his salary and paid his legal fees. 
and 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 it took the whole community here to get together and got the guy charged with murder this cop but it took almost everyone in the whole community you know saying look how can you do this he just blew this guy's head off he just killed him yeah you know and now they're paying for his appeal and this is the city council right we got another council member that was just arrested for shoplifting and that, that that's like his ninth time he's been shoplifting he went into walmart came walked right out with like 400 dollars worth of groceries and 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 now they're trying to protect him yeah i mean it, it's it's the blue line protecting the blue line and the crooked politicians correct uh protecting the crooked politicians and i yep. I, I think uh one thing that's for our generation that we got to be cognizant of is how fascism is even using identity politics to mm-hmm. uh uh that's uh being used uh within the black and brown community like we we saw herschel walker a black politician <laughs> you know what i mean yeah. Under, like uh, yeah ideological uh 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 campaign uh, we see recently with even celebrities like Kanye West talking yeah. about he loved Hitler. Uh, he's visiting Donald Trump with a white supremacist. You know what I'm saying? Um, yeah. We see the situation uh, with the uh, Terry Nichols being killed by five black police officers. You know what I'm saying? Fascism is is not a Hitler type of fascism of the 30s. Like it's being able to morph and adapt to our times and it will use black faces it will use brown faces to carry out these policies like here in indianapolis we have a black police chief uh and uh he's been covering up all the murders you know what i'm saying that the pigs been carrying out against our community up in gary indiana um when rashad cunningham was killed you know what i mean uh by the uh this uh, black pig up there named isaiah price the third you know what i mean this is his second time killing somebody I went to one of their council meeting meetings and it was all black politicians. You know what I'm saying? That's sitting on these boards. You know, uh, this is how neo-colonialism, uh, even when we talk about fascism, we we gotta uh uh point out how the Democratic Party, uh, they they they're a liberal fascist uh party, you know what I'm saying, they use uh neo-colonialism to carry out some of these same type of policies. Remember, uh it was Barack Obama that uh, overthrew Gaddafi and now it's slavery over, black slavery over there in Libya right now. It was Barack Obama <laughs> that was uh, initiated this uh, coup over in Ukraine uh, where they send the weapons over to a fascist uh, battalion over there, Azov Battalion. You're gonna say everybody know now that this is a neo-Nazi uh, uh, battalion that's mm-hmm. uh, uh, pushing uh, neo-Nazi uh, uh, fascist views over there, but they using, they use, this was the Democratic Party that initiated this, you know what I'm saying? And so a lot of times we make distinctions, but the content is the same. It might take on different forms depending on if it's, uh you know, the Trumps and the Ron DeSantis, you know what I'm saying? It's more overt, you know what I'm saying? But uh the Democrats, they they have a liberal fascist policy that they've been carrying out as well. You know what I'm saying? We just saw what you call a, uh, Javier uh, Bolsonaro uh, giving a speech down in Florida uh, where they had a similar January 2nd, uh, 6th situation down there in Brazil. 
<laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> Trying to overthrow that government and reinstituting fascism down there. You know what I'm saying? So we living in peculiar times. And like Fred Hampton said, if we don't stop fascism, fascism gonna stop us all. Yeah, and you know, all most, power. People, most people don't know about uh, how Barack Obama used the rainbow coalition politics to get to Washington. Um, because, you know, it was responsible for getting Harold Washington, the first black mayor uh, elected in Chicago. Uh, and also Bobby Rush, who was, you know, one of the co-founders of the, of the Black Panthers in, in Chicago, uh, first got to be in the Illinois Senate. Um, and that's Barack Obama ran against him and uh, uh, was not using, he was not using the rainbow politics, um, but um, uh, he uh, later on used it to get into, you know, into uh, Illinois Senate. And then he used it to get into the national politics, you know. So uh, he used that, but never gave anybody, you know, any credit for it, of course, you know. So uh, that's how they get in. He got into it and started using, you know, the, the, uh, the rainbow mm -hmm. politics. And they'll use anything they can to get there. But once they get there, forget it, you know. Yeah, uh, yeah. They don't they don't have any, you know, compassion or anything like that. So Yeah. And this this is also a part of taking our legacy back from these uh these politicians that took the rainbow coalition politics. And this is crazy. Uh it's just like the my misunderstanding of the Black Panther Party due to uh capitalist propaganda that was put out about the Black Panther Party as being racist and all this other stuff. Now we find out they weren't. Uh, it's the same thing like he was talking about when uh, Jesse Jackson took the Rainbow Coalition. Even he took the name Rainbow Push Coalition. Uh, for the longest, when I heard Rainbow Coalition, I was always thinking about Jesse Jackson. You know what I mean? Never knowing that he took this from Fred Hampton and them. You know what I'm saying? And took yeah. this and turned it and co-opted for for the bourgeoisie, for the capitalists, for the uh, <laughs> uh, the electoral politics uh, uh, way of uh, uh, bringing the people in and making them uh, getting them back into the system. You know what I'm saying? So part of this tour is also taking back our legacy uh, and and putting it in its right place. And it started on a revolutionary path, not a reformist path of uh, conciliating with the system. And being uh, neo-colonial uh, agents working with the system and uh, upholding the capitalist imperialist system, you know what I mean? Like it's taking back our legacy and letting people know this started now, nah, not with Jesse Jackson and, and the Democratic Party, but it started with revolutionaries like Fred Hampton, with revolutionaries like Hyde Thurman, with revolutionaries like Jose Chacha Jimenez and stuff, you know what I mean? So this is educating as well. Yeah. Um, so we are going on uh, two hours now. So, um, you know, if you guys got anything you want to say before we wrap up, um, this this has been great. Honestly, I just right. want to say that. Yeah, what I would say is never give up. 
I know it's frustrating. You know, I, I know it. Sometimes you don't think you're winning, and sometimes you don't think that that you've you've made any progress. But you know, when I was writing my book, uh, a guy named Scott Crow, who some of you might know, is a author of various books, uh, anarchist, uh, called me up and said, "You know, hi, I want to pay for your uh, I want to pay for your editing of the book." I said, "Why would you do that?" And he said, "Because you guys fed me in your breakfast program." So all power the, to the people. That's the pot, you know, that that's the paycheck right there. When you know that somebody like that would come up and say, yeah, I remember you. I remember what you did, you know, what you guys were doing. And now is dedicated to the revolution, you know. So that's that's really what's about. Don't ever give up because you don't ever know, you don't ever know who you might touch, you know, who you might influence. They may not ever talk to you about it, but but you're out there doing it. You know what I mean? And it only takes just a few people to start a group or whatever, right. uh, and just start it, you know, or use, to, use other organizations as a, a model, you know? So that, that's what we got to realize that most people are afraid of saying, they'll say, well, I can't do that. Well, you can, you know, and you should do something. So right. that, that would be my final <coughs> Yeah, I, I will follow up with how I said, and uh, I think this interview uh, really captured what he said with my relationship with y'all. Like, I met y'all on an interview. Uh, that was like, what, a year ago? <laughs> About a year, 14 months ago or something, I did an interview yeah. with y'all. Yeah, and uh, that inspired y'all. Uh, like, now y'all part of the White Panther movement. Uh, y'all part of the uh, Second Rainbow Coalition with us. Like, I never knew that interview was going to end. Uh, with y'all uh, taking the trajectory. Uh, I kind of figure it might go that way. <laughs> After <laughs> talking to y'all. <laughs> Meet me, and, definitely uh, lit a fire under our asses. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, honestly, like, when it comes down to it, as far as, like, uh, you know, furthering my political education and, like, really inspiring me to, you know, like, get back out on the ground, because, I mean, you know, it, I had a few years where I just didn't, you know really do anything i was involved in occupy forever ago but i was kind of like disillusioned by that right because it was basically right. <laughs> taken over by liberals and run into the ground by the government right you know? <laughs> like um but that being said i mean meeting you and shaka and um like reading some some stuff from uh tom watts and you know talking to jake and rob rich i mean really that's that whole trajectory started talking to you <laughs> right. <laughs> mm -hmm. That's and that's what we hope come out of this principal unity tour. Like uh we don't know who's gonna come, uh that's gonna be inspired, uh that might be the next uh High Thurman, the next Jose Chacha Jimenez, the next Fred Hampton, next Huey P. Newton, George Jackson, Asada Shakur, you know what I mean? Like Erica Huggins. Uh this this is this opens up those conversations and also open up the minds of the people of the possibility that is before them. They might not know about the Second Rainbow Coalition until they come hear me and High Terminal talk about this. They might well, yeah. not know about the, uh, the White Panthers is out here, uh, uh, the New African Black Panther Party, the Poor People's Army, the Young Lords, the Brown Braves. They might not even know this is already going on. 
You know what I mean? Because, you know, the bourgeois media recognized they made a mistake by uh, putting a lot of that stuff in the media in the 60s. And the, and the Panthers and all them capitalized on this. So right now, this is our way of speaking to the people directly. You know what I mean? And let them know, oh, we still out, we out here. <laughs> and we trying to uh, 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 continue this legacy. So, yeah, that's, that's the closing thing I would uh, like to leave everyone with. Uh, you never know who's going to be inspired. And the fact that uh, Rob right here, uh, Zen is a part of the movement and that started off with a, a, a interview. And now we here, you know what I mean? Uh, we yeah. here and they comrades of ours and we look forward. Like, it's going to be a pleasure being on this tour with you, comrade uh, Rob. Like, Yeah, going, yeah. Um, I keep reiterating. I'm so fucking excited for it. <laughs> yeah. I think uh, it's, it's going to be historic. It's going to be something that if you ever write your memoirs, it's definitely going to probably be a chapter in that book. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. It would have to be. Yeah. I mean, I do feel like there's better people than me to write a book. But, mm -hmm. I mean, that that being said, to circle back with, uh, to what you guys were talking about earlier in the show, I mean, the more of us that do this, though, the more word gets out. Yeah, And, right. um, you know, like, I mean, part of my, like, hang up when I initially, like, even, like, had the idea of a book crossing my mind, my initial holdup was, like, well, I mean, you know, like, I don't know if I can really, like, contribute anything. But oh, that being yeah. said, <laughs> like, I mean, that's that's just, like, some, you know, like, defeatist thinking, really. Yeah. I mean, like, like you said, it only takes a couple of people to start something. Right. Don't lose. You know, nothing's... If nothing's ever said, then nothing's ever heard. And, and uh, you know, we got to say it. You know, we got to tell them, you know? Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm going to go because I got a couple of calls, but uh, this has been great. Yeah, Absolutely. it has. I also have to make a couple of calls. Good, so, good. yeah. <laughs> if you can let me know about the some hotels in that area, I'd appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah, so would it be for the, the night before or the night after? Probably the night before. I'll, 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 I'll tell you what, I'll let you know. Let me check it out here and see. Okay. Well, yeah, we don't have to do that on the air, I guess. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll prior to the people, comrades, this was a great discussion. Thanks for having me a high mm -hmm. on and uh, look forward to uh, this uh, Principal Unity Tour slash East Coast Book Tour. Uh, coming up in a couple weeks and yeah we, we will get to flint we will get up there <laughs> oh yeah yeah let me know when you're ready to start planning that that'll be beautiful okay so, all power it has been an absolute oh. delight visiting with you both you too <laughs> <laughs> all right now all power to the people all power to the people